everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you also look in your bulletins, we will first read our Old Testament lesson together from Isaiah chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord, of the house of the Lord, shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations, nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And now for our New Testament lesson and sermon text, Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Then I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God. And the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague, as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So for three and a half days... Some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies watched them. And at the hour there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, The third woe is about to come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You'll notice in uh, 
the title of this sermon is A Witnessing Church. And we're speaking about things as the Great Commission. But yet we're in the book of Revelation. While it might have been more obvious, perhaps, to give a sermon on the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28, I do believe that Revelation 11 has much to say about our witnessing task as a church. A few weeks back, Pastor Zach was preaching on the Olivet Discourse from Matthew chapter 24. And he was uh, showing us that Jesus is preparing us for what is to come. And Jesus is speaking about his second coming, not as a way to scare us, to make us fearful. But he speaks about his second coming in a way that um, gives us comfort. Because we know what to expect. And if we know what to expect, then we are less fearful. Especially as we read those comforting words of Christ. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Pastor Zach also spoke a few weeks back about the World War II generation. And how many in that great generation understood the times in, in which they lived. There was an awareness of those times, even in my, the lives of my own grandmothers. One grandmother grew up in Hawaii during Pearl Harbor, and she would speak of gas mask drills in elementary school and digging trenches in the front yard in case of bombing raids. My grandmother, who lived in Cincinnati, spoke of all the rationing, rationing of food and sugar, rationing of tire for rubbers and so on. There was an awareness, you could say, of the times. When the book of Revelation, John wants the church to be aware of the times, to know what to expect, and in so doing, to rely on Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is a great book, I think, to make us aware of our surroundings, to make us aware of what is going on, because the book of Revelation is not just about future things. Oftentimes, people open the book of Revelation and think, this is a weird, esoteric book of the future. But really, the book of Revelation is telling us things past, present, and future. It's about things that began in John's own day. For 2,000 years, many of the things written in the book of Revelation have been happening all around us. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls, and so on. Now, there will be a heightening, an intensifying, right before Jesus comes back. But for 2,000 years, the church has been facing realities spoken about in this great book. So as we examine now... Chapter 11, we will first speak about God's protection. Secondly, we'll consider the church's witnessing task. And finally, the church's expectation. So first, God's protection. Verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar of those who worship there. This is an important verse to begin this chapter. This chapter is going to speak about the church's task. This chapter will speak about challenges to the church's witnessing task. But before John gets there, he wants us to see 
that the temple is measured by God. But what does that mean? Measure the temple. How is measuring the temple comforting to the church right now? What does that have to do with us? Well, in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, the new temple is being measured. And measuring the temple brings into view God's presence with his people. Ezekiel 43 verse 7, God says, I will dwell in the midst of my people. So measuring brings into view God's presence with his people. We saw that all the way back in chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 1. Jesus is walking among the churches. And so measuring brings to mind Christ is with us, walking through his churches as but a garden. Walking through and beholding and seeing and blessing and being with his people. No matter what enemy we face, no matter what obstacles we have in our way, we have the living Christ walking amongst us. Do we really believe that? Do we realize that? As we gather together, Sunday after Sunday, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, Christ is with us through his spirit, by the word and sacraments. And Christ says, I am with you always. Not I am with you sometimes, but I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as we gather together and we face so many burdens and so many fears and trials and tribulations that are weighing us down. John wants us to know you are measured Meaning Christ is with you. But measuring means even more than just presence. It means even more in the book of Revelation. When something is measured in the book of Revelation, it's protected. It's protected. It's it's, it's almost the same thing that we saw in chapter 7 and chapter 9 of Revelation, where the church is sealed Spiritually protected by God. No matter how persecuted we might be, no matter how many times we might be threatened with the gallows, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither sword, nor famine, nor death. We cannot lose our salvation if indeed we are truly saved. We are secure in Christ. So measuring means that we are spiritually protected and Christ is with us. But what about the temple? Why measure the temple? What is it? What is the temple? Well, in Revelation and also in many parts of the New Testament, the temple refers more to the people of God than to an actual building. So, for example, Paul will say, 1 Corinthians 3.16, you are God's temple. 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are the temple of the living God. So don't miss what John is doing as he begins this chapter. He begins it by saying the church is protected. Christ will be with his church even to the end of the age. Now John is is going to launch into the church's task, what the church ought to be doing. And also John is going to pinpoint Challenges, problems that the church will face. But notice what he wants us to do. 
before we attack the, 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 the task before us, before we address the problems, what does he want? He wants us to look up. Before we look horizontal, before we start attacking things, he says, look up. Where, where is your hope? Our hope is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Christ is with us. Christ has sealed us. So before the church carries out any task, we look up. Before we look out. Now to my second point. The church's witnessing task. Look with me at verse 3. John wrote, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, some people have wondered, who are these two witnesses? Maybe God is going to bring back Moses and Elijah, and these two individuals will begin to speak prophetically. But I don't think that that is what John is teaching in in this passage. The two witnesses refers to the entire church. The two witnesses refer to the entire church. When John speaks of the two witnesses, he's speaking about the church in general. As the Apostle Paul, or John rather, was commissioned to prophesy in chapter 10, so now the church is commissioned to prophesy to many peoples and nations and language and kings. God will grant authority and power akin to Moses and Elijah. To do such this task. In verse 3 the church will prophesy. Which means basically that the church will declare the word of God. And the church will do this for 1,260 days. That's another way of saying 42 months. Another way of saying three and a half years. In the book of Daniel. Daniel spoke about this time. This three and a half years that was going to come. And for Daniel it was in the future. He says, one day this will come, but John is seeing that that time is now. It's not in the future anymore for the Apostle John. The three and a half years symbolically refers to the period of time between the first and second coming of Christ. So between the first and second coming of Christ, the entire church has been given authority and power To speak the word of God. And notice that they're clothed in sackcloth. Why is the church symbolically clothed in sackcloth? Well, sackcloth is something that you wear when you are going to give a message of repentance. When we evangelize, what do we tell sinners? Well, we tell them the good news of what Christ has done. We tell them that Jesus kept the law of God For you, Jesus died as your substitute on the cross. Jesus rose again and and, uh, conquered death. And then he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the father. He's interceding for us. He will come back one day to gather us. And if you believe that message, then that message is for you. We tell people the good news of what Christ has done. We tell people to believe the message, to trust the message, to stake your entire life on that message of what Christ has done. And we also say, repent of your sins. 
turn from your sin. Some people, I think, have a bit of a low view of repentance. Sometimes we view repentance as merely saying, I'm sorry. Kind of like you ask your, uh, your son to say sorry to his sister and he begrudgingly says sorry. Well, that's not repentance. Repentance means turning from your sin. Repentance means hating your sin, changing your mind about your sin. And this is a, <clears throat> a difficult message for our culture, I believe. So many in the culture are celebrating sin all around us, violent sins, greedy sins, sexual sins, immoral sins, killing of, of babies, distorting of marriage, trampling the poor and the needy. So many in our culture celebrate and promote these sins and the church is given power, authority to proclaim the message of Christ and to proclaim, for example, Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. In verse 4, the church is described as two olive trees or two lampstands. And this comes from the vision of Zechariah chapter 4. And in Zechariah 4.6, God says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The churches are the lampstands. The oil in the lamp is the Holy Spirit. So the church is, given this, this imagery, the church is... Holy Spirit empowered to proclaim Christ, to be that gospel light in the midst of darkness. The world is filled with so much hopelessness, filled with people worshiping money, pleasure, comfort. And the church gets to be a beacon of light, pointing to Christ who said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But John gets more specific with the church's task. Yes, the church is given uh, Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit authority to proclaim the word of God, to call for faith and repentance, to be a light upon a hill. But John dr drills down even more to the church's task. Verse five, if anyone would harm them, Fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is to be doomed. And this, of course, brings to mind Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah called fire down from heaven to consume the enemies. But John in Revelation is not saying the church is going to call down fire to consume the unbelievers. Rather, what John is speaking about is the preaching of the word. Jeremiah 5.14 Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and the people would, and fire shall consume them. So what is the, the, the witnessing task of the church? It is to proclaim the word of God, to declare the victories of Christ, 
We should not shy away from the Word or think the Word is somehow without power. No, the Word is powerful. The Word can penetrate the hardest of hearts. The Word can lighten up the darkest of paths. More than any pseudoscience or self-help message, the church, the people, sinners, everybody needs the Word of God. Martin Luther, when he was reflecting on the Reformation, and he was thinking back on the Reformation and all the things that have happened, and the way that he stood up against the Roman Catholic Church, he said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the Word did everything. So Luther there, speaking a little bit hyperbolically, saying, I really did nothing. As I just preached the word, the word went out. The word changed hearts. The word was powerful. The word goes forth like fire, pricking the consciences of sinners, opening the eyes of the blind. So the church's task is to proclaim the word of God. But John highlights something else. Verse 6. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. This, of course, is a reference to Elijah praying that God would shut the skies for three and a half years. A reference to Moses praying and the waters turning to blood. John here is pointing to the prayers of the church. As James tells us, the prayer of a righteous man is great in power. The church is not only armed with the sword, the word of God, but also with all prayer. Herman Witsius said, whatever benefits God has decreed to bestow upon us, he has decreed to bestow in answer to prayer. So as God has all these blessings in mind for the church, all this strength in mind, all these things in mind for the church, he has decreed to bestow them to the church in answer to prayer. Christ our Savior stands ready to hear, ready to answer, ready to help, ready to empower. And too often we neglect prayer, don't we? Too often we fail to see the need of prayer or maybe the power of prayer. But John here reminds the church that prayer is so powerful, so vital that we might be diligent, not only in the word, but also in prayer. Richard Phillips said John's vision in Revelation 11 shows the power of the witnessing church. Through the word, sacraments and prayer, by the power of the God's spirit, by these ordinary means of grace, the church is enabled to declare the truth of God's word, prevail over evil and deliver sinners from judgment. And that's a helpful word, I think, for us as we're getting ready to <clears throat> launch out a new church plant in northern Kentucky and it's a daunting task and a challenging one, but also a one of great uh, joy as well. But we're also tempted sometimes. You know, how do you build a church? Do you do it through gimmicks? 
Do you do it through a business models? Do you do it by just giving consumers what they want? How does one build the church? And I think John is pointing us to the ordinary means of grace. The, the task of the church is word, sacrament, prayer. And that is the way in which we will minister, the way in which we will grow, relying daily on the Holy Spirit, because if God does not build, we labor in vain. We will daily rely on, on Christ's presence, because Christ is the vine. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. There are over <clears throat> 32,000 people in Florence, Kentucky, nearly 500,000 in northern Kentucky. As Christ said, the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. Pray for more laborers to be sent to the harvest. But the Great Commission work comes with challenges. It comes with opposition. And that brings me to my final point. The church's expectations. Look with me in verse 2. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations that they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So John is told, measure the temple, but don't measure the court of the outer court of the temple. Well, what's that about? What's, what's going on here? Well, to make it short, this means that the church is spiritually protected by Christ, but we undergo physical persecution and at times martyrdom. John wants the church to be aware that the call to witness to Christ exposes the church to physical attacks. We saw this in the, in, the, in the past few days in Nigeria as so many Christians were slaughtered. The Apostle Peter said, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal when it comes upon you. And when you study history, there are many times and places where people sought to eradicate the church. We think of Emperor Nero during the early church tried to wipe out the church by force. Hitler tried to squash the church. Stalin tried to kill and imprison the church. And even today, the church is heavily persecuted in certain areas. We think of North Korea, certain places in Africa and Europe. We've seen in recent years artificial intelligence being used to squash the church. And these realities have been around for thousands of years. But John is warning us that in the end, it will be more intensified. While there have been pockets of silencing the church throughout history, at some, at some, some places, sometimes, John says it will intensify at the end. Verse 7. And when they had <clears throat> finished their testimony... The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, symbolically called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies, refuse to place them in the tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. 
While the witnessing church, again, silenced in some, some places and times throughout church history, John is saying at the end, before the return of Christ, there will be a bit of a global silencing. Now there will still be a church, though it might be small and scattered. The unbelievers in this text are depicted as those who hate the church. Why do they hate the church? Because the church preached Christ. Preached Christ and Him crucified. The Word of God tormented the unbelievers. It plagued their conscience, reminding them that they are sinners outside of Christ. The sacraments of the church were a sign of their exclusion. And when the church appeared dead in the streets, what did the unbelievers do? They celebrated like it was Christmas. They exchanged gifts, excited that the church was dead. But our God will not let that be the final word. Verse 11. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies watched them. And at the hour, there was a great earthquake and a tent of the city fell. (coughs) 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So just as Jesus experienced the cross before the resurrection, so too the church will experience many tribulations. As the apostle said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God before we experience resurrection power. But here's what John wants us to know in these verses. John wants us to know that the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. So as we stand here, On the brink of another church in another city, as we gear up to weekly preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, what is Christ saying to us in this passage? In this passage, Christ is saying to us, there will be opposition and hardship, but you are spiritually protected and I am with you. So go, therefore, proclaim the gospel, pray down heaven. All in the power of the Holy Spirit. And some will repent and join you. Some will shake their fist in defiance against Christ. But in the end you will be vindicated. And your labors will not be in vain. So the northern Kentucky harvest is ready. And Christ is with us as we go. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise.